Hi there and welcome to another episode of The Law Down, the podcast where we at CM Murray discuss the legal issues behind various stories in the news. Um, my name is Beth Hale, uh, I'm a partner at CM Murray and on this podcast I'm joined by uh, Emma Bartlett, another of our partners, and also on his uh, Law Down debut, Mitchell Blythe, our paralegal. Um, so on this episode we are going to be discussing a number of, it's a sports special um, so we're going to be discussing a number of sort of current sports news stories and um, how they play out in, in relation to employment law. The first story we'll cover is the failure by England Rugby to include a non-compete clause in Eddie Jones's contract when he left. Emma is then going to talk about various issues around women in sport and gender equality. I'm going to talk about uh, rugby in Wales and Ireland and their attempt to make uh, to, to reduce sexism and to increase representation by women. And then Mitchell's going to talk about Delilah and Tom Jones at the end. So, Mitchell, I'm going to hand over to you just to talk about Eddie Jones and, and what he can and can't do now he's moved to Australia. So I'm a big rugby union fan and I've been following this story quite closely from the perspective of a rugby fan, um, but also because it has a really interesting legal undercurrent to it. So the Rugby Football Union or the RFU have parted ways with the now former head coach, Eddie Jones, after some unsatisfactory performances in the autumn. And they've appointed a new head coach in Steve Borthwick as a replacement. Uh, where this gets interesting from a legal perspective is that the RFU did not insert a non-compete clause into Eddie Jones's severance package. The RFU have not really provided too much information as to the reasons for this decision, other than stating that it was made for legal and moral reasons. Now, the lack of non-compete clause has allowed Rugby Australia to capitalise on this, and they've snapped up Eddie Jones as their new head coach just seven weeks after he was removed from his post in the England setup. It's even reported uh, on The Telegraph that Rugby Australia were astonished and delighted by the RFU decision not to include the post-termination restrictions. Eddie Jones himself, in his first interview with uh, Rugby Australia as head coach, has deflected any questions regarding his non-compete clause. And when asked about it, he just said that his period at England is done to him. Uh, he loved it, but it's finished. Where this really highlights the importance of the post-termination restrictions uh, and express confidential information provisions is that we're now in a position where Eddie Jones, who has spent the last seven years in charge of the singular rugby team, takes a wealth of knowledge on the England rugby players, their individual strengths and weaknesses, that he's been gathering over this time and he takes that to rugby australia ahead of a rugby world cup in france which is in just seven months time this is a rugby world cup which if the results fall into place and because of the way that the teams are grouped it's very likely we could be seeing england face off against eddie jones's australia team in the quarterfinals with eddie jones having all this inside knowledge at his disposal that's super interesting isn't it i think um uh, it so I'm less of a rugby fan, more of a football fan. And in, in football, managers move around like that all the time. Although I would have thought they have, they would ordinarily have some confidential, some proper protection, confidential information. Uh, and it doesn't always, anyway, it doesn't always stand them in very good stead, does it? I'm thinking of, um, my brother will be pleased to note that I'm mentioning this, that when Brighton beat Chelsea just after Graham Potter had moved from Brighton to Chelsea. So there's not... Um, not always an advantage is it but I can see here that with the sort of international piece where you're not seeing players play week in week out with the with the international team so that so actually sort of tactics and things are more confidential and are more 
um, particular to the national team, I can see that it's much more of an issue. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's mainly the individual players' strengths and weaknesses as well that he's going to have the most of the um, sort of uh, benefit of knowing. Mm. Uh, we had a situation a few years ago in the Premiership where a rugby player for Sale Sharks was dismissed by his own club um, for leaking the line-out codes and the line-out calls to his brother who played for the opposition. And this was allegedly done the night before in a hotel room. Now, I don't think that line-out codes and calls is something that Eddie Jones will be able to take with him in seven months' time to Australia. Um, so you'd imagine that's quite an easy fix for Steve Borthwick and his, his England yeah, team. Yeah, you'd imagine they'd be, they'd be uh, fixing that now, making, making up new ones as we speak. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it mainly comes down to the individual strengths and weaknesses where he's going to know how to potentially exploit those with, with Rugby mm -hmm. Australia. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's something that I think you don't often think about because of the sort of ease with which people seem to move around in those kinds of jobs. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that he is deflecting, as you say, deflecting questions on it and not wanting to, not really wanting to go there. Cool. Thanks, Mitchell. Um, Emma, you were going to talk a little bit about, I think, mainly maternity pay in, in sports, which is something we have touched on in the law down before, actually. Um, but with, with the focus on two particular stories. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was only recently that um, FIFA and the FA made some announcements about maternity rights for women playing football. And um, what's come out of the two stories that I wanted to discuss today is that there is uh, much more of a need for better information to be provided to female players about um, their maternity rights and benefits and for clubs to be fully behind it. Um, it feels almost like a, a culture thing. And it's, you know, we've seen in very recent times about changes to women's kit where women were playing in men's kits which are designed for men and they needed people to start making kits that are designed for women and you know they are now operating in male uh, football stadiums which were designed for men's football and um, the facilities and I think this is what we've discussed in previous lawdowns the facilities at those stadiums are not designed for women bringing children into the stadiums and the encouragement around it just hasn't been there and so the, the first story I wanted to cover was what was has been described um, by Sarah Bjork Gunnarsdottir who is the Iceland uh, women's football captain who in May 22 won a, um, a ruling before the FIFA tribunal um, when she was playing for Lyon and she was on maternity leave and Leon has been ordered by FIFA to make a payment of unpaid salaries um, of more than 82,000 euros. And uh, I did find this interesting that FIFA um, also said that the club had to pay it within 45 days of the decision or they would face a transfer ban, which um, is obviously something which a normal employment tribunal um, wouldn't be able to um, do. But in terms of remedies, that interestingly, that footballers can get before the FIFA tribunal it's obviously quite a serious remedy for for Leon if they hadn't made the payment within that 45 day window but basically what happened is that in 2020 she joined Leon uh, they won two Champions League titles 
and she eventually left in July 22 to join Juventus. Since January 2021, FIFA rules state that female players are entitled to a minimum of 14 weeks maternity leave and then two thirds of their salary going forward for a further eight weeks. So it's, um, it's, it's a relatively generous um, maternity package. But given that football requires somebody to use their whole body and uh, recovery after, after having given birth, um, may not allow them to return to competitive sport really quickly having that additional maternity pay in my mind it is is really important so uh, Gunnarsberg fell pregnant in early 21 um, and was advised by her doctor to return to Iceland for the final stages of her pregnancy after she returned to Iceland her salaries stopped, her salary payments stopped being received from Leon and uh, this caused her obviously financial distress during that period. The club really didn't have a, a fair reason to stop her salary during that period. And um, having had the ruling in her favour now, um, it's it's been spoken about widely in terms of a, being a wake up call for clubs to understand um, that women need the financial support whilst they're having a baby um, or being pregnant in order to be able to have that period of time safely take the appropriate period of time before coming back. And you know, as we've seen with Gunnar's daughter, she's, she's continuing to operate at a very competitive level now with Juventus. So um, that was the first story I wanted to cover. And then very similarly, Emma McCandy, the uh, Reading captain, has criticised the FA's maternity policy, saying that it's, it appears to be something that must have been drawn up by a man. And she's made the comments about um, the fact that the policy of 14 weeks full pay may discourage women from being able to take the right amount of time off to regain their um, health after giving birth. Um, and she also has made some uh, comments about the lack of facilities available. Um, and it, I think in relation to one club, it, it's talking about the fact that on ma uh, uh, when she was training, if she didn't have childcare, they said, well, you can't bring um, your child into the ground and it's those sort of the, the lack of policy surrounding um, the new maternity benefits and pay and the lack of explanation as to how much time you can take off and how much support you will get whilst being pregnant and on return um, she said that she had hid her pregnancy because she was concerned about um, the support that she would get um, which may or may not be have been well placed but nevertheless shows that there could be more that football could be doing to encourage an open and general awareness that women are the ones that have the babies <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's an end to their career and, but they do need support during that period to allow them to flourish and then come back so yeah, yeah so having a baby is definitely the end to my Sunday league career but that's um <laughs> I like to think that professionals are probably better at managing that than I was. Um, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think the whole and the topic that I'll talk about in a minute around just sort of better representation of women in, in sport more generally has come so suddenly kind of burst onto the kind of agenda. I think there have been people plugging away, plugging away for years, but it's so interesting to see it really come into sort of headline news now and just talking about things like you know, really not very long ago, the idea of talking about maternity pay for female footballers was like, you know, people were talking about whether 
female footballers were getting paid at all, let alone whether they were going to get maternity pay. And so, um, yeah, we've got an extremely long way to go. But I think it is worth noting that the fact that people are even discussing it in a really sort of open, in, in a much more open way is really positive. Um, as I yeah. said, long way to go. Yeah, very much so. It's um, it's sort of uh, putting it right in the spotlight, isn't it? Mm. That, okay, this has been a sport that's been dominated um, for whatever reason by men so far, but um, women have these rights and women just need to know about the rights so they, that they can take the relevant period of leave, take the, the full pay that they're entitled to and not feel that, that it's something they should have to hide. Um, it's sort of changing the culture. Yeah, there's, that's what I was going to say. It's a, it's a massive sort of cultural change issue, isn't it? And I think, you know, there are things like for people attending football matches, um, there are never enough women's toilets at football stadiums. You know, it's it, and it, that sounds like a stupid complaint, but it's really, you know, if you if, if as a woman you go to a, um, go to a premiership football match, men's or women's there aren't enough there always aren't enough women's football women's toilets and I think that's you know that those kinds of things are problematic yeah and, you know I think they're, they're a disadvantage for other for, for minority groups as well I think particularly for disabled attendees I think that's really problematic too so I think you know there are lots of issues still to um resolve yeah but I, th- I think these are stories that we're going to see continue to come to the fore mm. until it's sorted out and obviously it's not all clubs um no of course so I mean just well so Lewis uh I'm not going to get their name right but the the Lewis in Sussex now pay their men and women football teams equally which is amazing my club Arsenal I don't think they do yet but you know let's uh (laughs) let's keep on pushing yeah it's so interesting isn't it I think um just to sort of as I as I say just kind of bursting onto the sort of mainstream news agenda which I think is where it needs to be in order for any proper action to be taken and proper progress to be made yeah um so I was going to move back to rugby although I've already said it's not my specialist not my specialist subject but um there are a couple of stories that have come out recently that I think are really interesting one is um Charlotte Waitham who's a former boss at Welsh women's rugby um, has talked about has come out and spoken about the toxic culture of sexism at the Welsh Rugby Union um, and she said that people made jokes about wanting to rape her in public meetings um, which is just horrendous and and lots of other <clears throat> lots of other issues she's raised around just sort of toxicity of the culture and the sexism of the culture and separately but perhaps related um, the Welsh Rugby Union has announced plans to modernise its board to, to include at least five women um, so that it's a 12-person board and they're going to have the, they're saying they're aiming to have at least five women on it um, and the Irish Rugby Football Union has made uh, the committee has made a similar pro, a, a proposal around increasing female representation on their committee and on the board and I know you talk a lot Emma about female representation women representation on boards um, and I think it's really interesting that sports are starting to to do this and and starting to again sort of look forward and try and have more female representation partly because of the complaints around toxicity of culture and those kinds of things I think it's really you know again positive but there's a huge journey still to be had isn't there yeah I think um I think what's great about it is the target of 40 percent women on boards which it is mirroring the um target that is 
being applied to um, FTSE 100 companies. And um, so they're going right in there. But it, what it will give is just diversity of thought in terms of the running of the club. And um, this story matches very nicely with the football story that I was just talking about where, you know, the Reading captain saying, is this a, something that has been drafted by a man because it's not being drafted by somebody who is playing at professional level and had a baby. So having having that diversity of thought to think about, and that's why in all walks of life, having people who are not going to think the same is going to give you more pre creativity and meet more needs um, by having that diversity of thought at that level. I was yeah. I was interested in in the first story you picked up there about the comments made. Uh, I, I don't know if you watch many films from the 1980s, but I was watching, but I, I was watching one at the weekend with my kids. And um, you know, the, the types of comments in there sort of made you gasp. Um, but at the time, it was <clears> for the time, but now, um, and that yeah, I mean, I think about, these comments happened more recently than that, but I totally agree with you that, yeah. that there is um there are films that you think of that I would think of as sort of really good family films that I've watched with my kids and gone, oh my goodness, like really shocking um, misogyny in them, which I think Exactly. Is, yeah. and, and that comment is something that, you know, was prolific perhaps in the 70s and 80s, but it's not now. <laughs> no, luckily not now, although it obviously still happens. And that's, you know, that's yeah. exactly what this kind of, um, what this kind of uh, measure that, you know, that people are trying to take and, obviously as I say long long way to go but um yeah positive that it's being talked about yeah hugely positive um and on that note Mitchell um we we started planning for this podcast just before the first weekend of the Six Nations when the um Welsh Rugby Union had announced that they were going to ban the singing of Delilah by Tom Jones at the at the Welsh Six Nations match um and yeah you were just going to talk about that yeah, so this comes um, just ahead of the first, well, the, it was announced just ahead of the first week of the Six Nations, as you say, um, and Wales are also unveiling their plans to modernise their board as well. Um, but they've also made this change, which is to ban the singing of the Tom Jones song Delilah by the choir at the home games at right. the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. And the song had already been removed from the playlists at halftime in 2015 but the choir was still performing the song at halftime um, until now. And the justification for this is that the song contains problematic and misogynistic lyrics, and then it depicts the murder of a woman by a jealous man. Now, the reception to this, an opinionist, has been mixed. People are obviously all calling for institutional change and an improved culture within Wales Rugby Union, but people believe that the banning of this song is not necessarily the way forward. Um, one of the first team Welsh rugby players actually took to Twitter after this announcement and posted all the things they need to do and they do that first. Um, it does put it into perspective to read the piece on the BBC. They've interviewed domestic abuse survivors anonymously and they speak of the relief and not having to hear this song at the more of the stadium and the impact that it actually has on their experience to be at the rugby and to hear 70,000 supporters singing this song which has male violence against women in it. I think the main thing is that it's important that if they're going to take this action, that they also make the systematic changes and change the culture of the organisation from within at the same time. Yeah, 
absolutely i mean it's a, it's a step but it's not it's not um it's not the end of the journey is it for what they need to do as we've already discussed um i had never uh, i never knew the lyrics of delilah until last week when they banned it so um yeah it's interesting isn't it to suddenly look back at these songs that are really familiar to you i know the chorus i didn't know any of the any of the words before um like i guess i'm not welsh so um <laughs> Maybe I, think, I think for me, what it shows is that the um, that they're listening to people who participate and watch the sport, and if it's triggering um, for a lot of people, you know, there's a body of people that this is such an offensive that the lyrics are offensive or they trigger um, bad memories for them. It's um, it shows a great step in the right direction. But unlike you, Beth, it's it's one of those songs that you've never really I've never really listened to what the lyrics were um it's a song that I liked but didn't realize what it was about <laughs> yeah it's hard isn't it I mean I think it, it it comes back to what we were talking about earlier around making making sport uh not just for the part not just for participants but also for those who want to go and watch sport making it a more diverse and equal place and and thinking about how how you can encourage um people who wouldn't have traditionally gone to watch sports um, into, into stadiums. And I think that's, you know, if this is a step in that right direction, that's again, a positive thing. Yeah, a step towards inclusion. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, that was all we were going to talk about today. Um, thank you, Emma. Thank you, Mitchell. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you have any topics you'd like to see discussed, like to hear discussed on the, on the Law Down in future, do let us know. Um, you can listen to former uh, to previous episodes on our website at uh, cm-murray.com um, and we look forward to seeing you soon.